0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Shlach Lecha, fear of freedom. The episode of the spies was one of the most tragic in the entire Torah. Who sent them? And to what end is not entirely clear. In this week's parasha, the text says that it was God who told Moses to do so. In Deuteronomy, Moses says it was the people who made the request. Either way, the result was a disaster. An entire generation was deprived of the chance to enter the promised land. The entry itself was delayed by 40 years. According to the sages, it cast its shadow long into the future. Moshe told the spies to go and see the land and bring back a report about it. The people, many or few, strong or weak. What is the land itself like? The spies returned with a positive report about the land itself. It is indeed flowing with milk and honey and this is its fruit. They then followed one of the most famous buts in Jewish history. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak, the giant there. Sensing that their words were demoralizing, the people, Kalev, one of the spies, interrupted with a message of reassurance. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. However, the other spies insisted, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. All the people we saw there are of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers. The next day, the people, persuaded that the challenge was completely beyond them, expressed regret that they'd ever embarked on the exodus and said, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Thus far the narrative. However, it's monumentally difficult to understand. It was this that led the little Pavichareba to give a radically revisionary interpretation of the episode. He asked the obvious question, how could 10 of the spies come back with a defeatist report. They had seen with their own eyes how God had sent a series of plagues that brought Egypt, the strongest and longest-lived of all the empires of the ancient world, to its knees. They'd seen the Egyptian army, with its cutting-edge military technology, the horse-drawn chariot, drown in the sea, while the Israelites passed through it on dry land. Egypt was much stronger than the Canaanites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and other minor kingdoms that they'd have to confront in conquering the land. Nor was this an ancient memory. They had said so at the Red Sea. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab, all the inhabitants of Canaan, and melted away. How was it that they forgot what long, not long before they had seen? What's more, continued the rabbi, the spies. Weren't people. Sp- plucked at random from among the population, the terror states that they were men who were heads of the people of Israel. They were leaders. They were not people lightly given to fear. The questions are straightforward. But the answer the Rebbe gave was utterly unexpected. The spies weren't afraid of failure, he said. They were afraid of success. Never had a people lived so close to God as they were living right then. If they entered the land, their lifestyle of camping around the sanctuary, eating manna from heaven, living in continuous contact with the Shekhinah would vanish. They'd have to fight battles, maintain an army, create an economy, farm the land, worry about the weather and their crops and all the other thousand distractions that come from living in the world. What would happen to their closeness to God? They would be preoccupied with mundane and material pursuits. Here, they could spend their entire lives learning Torah, lit by the radiance of the divine. There, there'd be one more nation in a world of nations, with the same kind of economic, social and political problems that every other nation has to deal with. They were afraid of success and the subsequent change it would bring about. They wanted to spend their lives in the closest proximity to God, What they didn't understand was that God seeks, in the Midrashic phrase, a dwelling in the lower worlds. One of the great differences between Judaism and other religions is that while others seek to lift people to heaven, Judaism seeks to bring heaven down to earth. Much of the Torah is about things not conventionally seen as religious at all. Labour relations, agriculture, welfare provisions, loans, debts, land ownership, and so on. It isn't difficult to have an intense religious experience in the desert or in a monastic retreat or in an ashram. Most religions have holy places and holy people who live far removed from the stresses and strains of everyday life. And about this, there's nothing unusual at all. But that isn't the Jewish project, the Jewish mission. God wanted the Israelites to create a model society where human beings were not treated as slaves, where rulers were not worshipped as demigods, where human dignity was respected, where law was impartially administered to rich and poor alike, where no one was destitute, no one was abandoned to isolation, no one was above the law, and no realm of life was morality free. That requires a society, and a society needs a land. It needs an economy, an army, fields, flocks, labor, enterprise. All these, in Judaism, become ways of bringing the Shekhinah into the shared spaces of our collective life. The spies didn't doubt that Israel could win its battles with the inhabitants of the land. Their concern wasn't physical but spiritual. They didn't want to leave the wilderness. They didn't want to become just another nation among the nations of the earth. They didn't want to lose their unique relationship with God in the reverberating silence of the desert. And they were wrong. It was the mistake of deeply religious men, but it was a mistake. Clearly, this isn't the plain sense of the narrative, but we shouldn't dismiss it on that account. It is a kind of psychoanalytical reading of the unconscious mindset of the spies. They didn't want to let go of the intimacy and innocence, of the time out of time and place out of place, that was the experience of the wilderness. Ultimately, the spies feared freedom and its responsibilities. But terror is about the responsibilities of freedom. Judaism is not a religion of monastic retreat from the world. It's a religion of engagement with the world. God chose Israel to make his presence visible in the world. Therefore, Israel must live in the world. The Jewish people were not without their desert dwellers and ascetics. The Talmud says that Shimon bar Yochai lived for 13 years in a cave, and when he emerged, he couldn't bear to see people engaged in such earthly pursuits as plowing a field. He held that engagement with the world was fundamentally incompatible, the heights of spirituality, but the mainstream held otherwise. It maintained that Torah study without an occupation will, in the end, fail and lead to sin. Maimonides speaks of people who live as hermits in the desert to escape the corruptions of society, but these were the exceptions, not the rule. It is not the destiny of Israel to live outside time and space as the world's recluses. Far from being the supreme height of faith Such a fear of freedom and its responsibilities is, according to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the sin of the spies. They didn't want to contaminate Judaism by bringing it into contact with the real world. They sought the eternal dependency of God's protection and the endless embrace of his all-encompassing love. There's something noble about this desire, but also something profoundly irresponsible. The spies demoralise the people and provoke the anger of God. The Jewish project, the Torah as the constitution of the Jewish nation under the sovereignty of God, is about building a society in the land of Israel that so honours human dignity and freedom that it will one day lead the world to say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. The Jewish task is not to fear the real world, but to enter and transform it healing some of its wounds and bringing to places often shrouded in darkness fragments of divine light. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org slash CC Family Edition.